It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Hey, welcome to another podcast. I'm Lauren and... I'm Scott. Indeed he is, and so am I. Um, But not Scott, I'm Lauren. Anyhow, uh, welcome to this episode of Movies You Should Love. Um, I don't know what to believe! (laughs) uh, You know what we do here is we're going to take a look at films and analyze them. We're, we're not a straight-up review kind of show. We like to get in and actually kind of figure out what makes movies tick. We analyze them, we critique them, maybe do a little bit of mocking here and there. Um, but really, we just want to get in and dig into kind of bridging that gap between movies that you enjoy and the classics, or maybe not even just classics, but more modern films that maybe you should love, even though you don't know about them yet. So that's kind of what we're here for. Um, You can always find us online on Facebook at facebook.com slash movies you should. We put a lot of uh, little updates. uh, Sometimes Scott live blogs things there, like if he's watching something, uh, you know, whatever, there's stuff there. Um, On Twitter at movies you should. That's our Mm -hmm. Twitter feed. So again, great way to keep up with all the crazy goings on here and uh, at our website moviesyoushouldlove.com we are always happy to engage in fun conversations there Um, if you're listening to us through iTunes we would love for you to rate our show Um, it helps more people find us and uh, really it's just good karma for you so go do it (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah this week Uh, We are talking about number 81 on AFI's Top 100 Films, the classic Spartacus. This is not the new Spartacus that has been airing on television. It is not. Of which we have our own opinions. Um, But but this is the uh, the 1960 version Mm -hmm. um, with Kirk Douglas and Laurence Olivier and a whole bunch of other people. And uh, literally a cast of A bunch of people. (laughs) Yeah. I lost count. (laughs) <laughs> so we'll get into that in a little bit but before we do um scott especially has been watching a lot of movies here recently so scott what have you been up to i've been in a michael fassbender mood i don't know how that happened it just actually i do know how it happened i went and saw the hunger games which made me remember how much i like jennifer lawrence in x-men first class and i watched that which is really for me it's one of the best maybe not if not the best x-men movie it's mike it's exactly what I want out of a science fiction movie, which is big, cool effects, big, cool adventure, but really interesting social commentary. If you haven't seen it, it's, you know, X-Men set in the 60s, so it's kind of got a Mad Men feel to it. Um, it's about Charles Xavier and my, and uh, Eric Lankshire, who becomes Magneto. It's about their friendship and what sets them apart. And Michael Fassbender plays uh, the Magneto character. And it's a lot of fun. Um, so I watched that, and I'm like, oh, I forgot how much I really like this movie, which then led me to Centurion, a movie that I know you have seen, um, mm-hmm. and it's an interesting movie. Um, it's on Netflix streaming now, so if you act fast, you can watch it without, you know, having to deal with physical media in any way. But um, basically, it, it, it's set in uh, 117 AD. In s- everyone's favorite AD. Everyone's. <laughs> Is there a better <laughs> AD? Uh <laughs> uh, it takes place in Scotland, basically, uh, at the time when the Romans were trying to subjugate Scotland. And um, basically, at the very beginning of the movie, you have the Picts, who are the native, uh, who become the Scots eventually. They attack a, uh, a Roman legion and they abduct the, the centurion 
who's in charge of the who's in command and then it's about like these this handful of, of romans four or five men led by michael fassbender um who then go off to try to rescue their centurion their captain um along the way they encounter all sorts of hardships scottish weather scottish women um and it's 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 actually it's I have a hard time with this movie, Lawrence. You have to help me here because mm-hmm. I really like the story, and it's a it's a story that emotionally involves me, especially by the end of it. The last fifteen minutes of the movie are just really great. But this writer and this director, they have a style that kind of bugs me. And there's there's a lot of CG blood, like noticeably CG blood, which for me, I'm just like, just leave it out. Just you don't even need to go there. But then also, there's times where I feel like it's I don't mind gore. I don't mind realism in this kind of these kind of things because we're going to talk about Game of Thrones here in a minute, which also has its fair share of gore and language and nudity and all sorts of things. Um, but there's something about this particular style which it's like a B level movie in some ways. Do you know what I'm saying? No, I I completely agree. There's just to get this out of the way. I really liked the movie significantly much. Um, it was, <laughs> it was, it was. I liked it in ways that grammar cannot comprehend. <laughs> exactly. No, it was. It's a really. The movie really gripped me um, and left me with kind of an emotional response at the end mm-hmm. that a lot of movies don't do for me. Mm-hmm anymore so there's something about it that really worked for me but that said i was also bugged i think by some of the same things you were um the cg blood i'm not against the concept of cg blood i don't think it has achieved the level yet where it fits in with the movie well enough. no i don't mind it and even in a movie like 300 i didn't mind it but 300 was so stylized that like nothing was real and so seeing cg blood didn't bug me where Mm -hmm. here there's no blue screens in this movie. It's like right, everything the, the is on location. It's gritty. It's dirty. It's dark. And then there's this splash of neon red blood. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're like, oh, why is that there? Yeah, it's just it's it kind of pulled me out of the the moment, which is sad because the battles are really good. Yeah, and and they there's also some really impressive prosthetic mm-hmm. effects. I mean, there are mm-hmm. times where people you do see mm-hmm. you know quote unquote real blood. You do mm-hmm. see people getting hacked or shot mm-hmm. or whatever, and it does look like your more traditional Braveheart mm-hmm. wound or whatever you want to say. So I don't know. It's like, yeah, it's a movie then, I liked, but then it's also like I don't. There's certain things with like with the script. Sometimes it bugs me when a a historical drama goes super rated R with its script. Again, I don't mind language. Um, I really liked Game of Thrones, which we're about to get into, which is a hard, hard, hard R. Um, mm-hmm. But there's something about this movie's kind of felt crass just to be crass, just yeah. because. Oh no, that's how Romans really talk. You're like, maybe they did, but I don't. Mm, I don't yeah, know. There's, there's also, um, if I'm remembering correctly, it's been just a, it's been a few months since I've seen this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the Pictish warrior girl mm-hmm. who ends up chasing them, yeah. her character also felt not disingenuous. Mm-hmm. But just a little bit um, underdeveloped, if you will. Yeah, well, because and which kind of added a certain level of uh, kind of that that 
just we needed an element to drive the plot forward rather yes. than a real thing. Because I think she, maybe that was while, one of the things that Because while they're chasing really... the picks to get their centurion mm-hmm. back, she's chasing them because they're Romans in her land. And we kind of find out at one point that her tongue was cut out by, I think, a Roman at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she never has any dialogue. And so she all she's able to do in the movie is kind of... Um, either kill people. kill people or look angry or look cold, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's got some really good stuff in it. Like, mm-hmm. the, like I said, like the last 15 minutes work phenomenally well. And I loved it. I, halfway through the movie, I realized that for you, Dr. Who fans, Mickey is in this and he's a badass Roman. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of cool to see that because he was really annoying on Dr. Who. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of one of those movies, like when it, clicks it clicks really really well yeah and then there's just a few pieces where it just kind of pulls you out just a little bit like yeah i kind of feel like this movie could have been gladiator this movie Mm -hmm. could have been something that really took the world by storm instead of being like this kind of small british yeah so it just yeah it just it just feels like it didn't quite achieve where it needed to go yeah but that said I really liked it. Yeah. Um, I would, so actually, I would honestly recommend it to a lot of people. If you like a good sword, not sword and sandals, but um, you know, a Roman movie, it's really interesting mm-hmm. and it's tied into history in a fun way because there is this moment in history where 3000 Romans uh, go into Scotland and are never seen or heard of from again. Mm-hmm. We, we have since like in the past year or two, I was reading cause it really kind of was an interesting story. I'd never heard of. Um, they have found remnants of this ninth legion, in Germany, and so they kind of think they at some point they left Scotland and went back to Germany. But that being said, there's no at this point in history, there's no recorded evidence or records of what happened to the Ninth Legion. We just know it went into Scotland at some point, and that was the last they were ever heard of. So this movie is kind of like this is what happened to those three thousand men, and so it's it's kind of cool for that. Yeah. Um, so I enjoyed that, and that took me to a new movie that just came out on DVD and Blu-ray called A Dangerous Method. Um, sorry, Michael Fassbender. As uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's one of my new favorite actors. He's been around for a while. He was in Three Hundred. He was in. He's been in a lot of movies, um, and I've just started noticing him. And I think he's somebody people should check out because he's in good movies, and he often does or always does a really good job. Um, but he plays uh, Professor Jung. Dr. Jung in this Um, and Viggo Mortensen plays Freud uh, the Sigmund Freud Um, again another movie based basically on a true story about this relationship that Freud and Jung had um, in the early 20th century as they were developing their theories on on people's uh, on psychoanalysis and on these things that they basically invented and it's just a fascinating movie to watch Uh, Keira Knightley is also in this and she plays Hmm. a real person she plays a uh, a russian who is suffering from something which which is kind of what propels the movie forward she becomes a patient of jung's and he's and she kind of defies some of his theories so he goes to freud and she kind of defies some of his theories and so it's kind of about how these two men try to fix her but then also during that process there's like this love story that springs up between her and jung and in the real life story she goes on to become a doctor in her own right and is one of the first women to kind of champion psychoanalysis as a doctor in Russia. And it, her story ends really sad because she actually, her and her, she was Jewish and she was killed in Russia by Nazis. Um, that's not in the movie, but that's just kind of, but it's, that's all, all that aside, this movie, it does have some fairly graphic uh, sex scenes in it. They're not super, super graphic, but there is nudity. Um, but what I, 
what really this movie I would love to see this movie on stage and if you, you could just mm. you could almost drop the entire love story out of it and just take those scenes with Freud and Jung because they are phenomenal they're just like some of the best written stuff that I just like I want to listen to these two very intelligent men talk all day long because they're just they're they're discussing you know what makes people tick but at the same time they're kind of analyzing each other and kind of proposing things to each other and kind of poking at each other and it's I mean, I didn't realize. I mean, I love Viggo Mortensen because of Lord of the Rings. I didn't realize he was such a great actor. Like hmm. he is a great, great Freud in this, and it's like it's a really, it's just a really brainy, <laughs> really intelligent movie that I just really enjoyed. Directed by David Cronenberg of all people, who um, you know directed uh, History of Violence and uh, The Fly and <laughs> a, ton, yeah, ton, a ton, ton of movies. Of and he's got a very varied. Uh, filmography and it's um, this is definitely one of them but (laughs) that's the last time I'm going to say that I promise Um, how many episodes can we get that joke into I can do it again (laughs) Um, so anyway that was my Michael Fassbender uh, experience this past week Um, and then I stopped watching all movies and television because Game of Thrones came into my life and that has been the last finally (laughs) yeah I've been waiting for it to come out on DVD and Blu-ray. I refuse to pirate it, sir. I refuse. Um, and so, over the course of three nights, Kelly and I watched ten hours of the Game of Thrones. Um, I want to talk about this. <laughs> I want to talk about this. <laughs> I have so many emotions right now, Lauren. Because <laughs> here's the thing. After the first three episodes, I was... I found myself in the place where I didn't know if I hated this show or I loved it because I did not like the way it made me feel, but I wanted to know more. Like this show is. Yeah. That's incredibly fitting, but continue. Yes. This show is filled with, there's no real good way to say this, but it's filled with a lot of really wicked people doing Mm -hmm. terrible things to each other. And this, and I want to see more. Like, I really want, like, I, I began caring about the characters because they're so well acted, they're so well written, they're so fleshed out, even though they are all terrible people, except for a handful of people. And the handful of people who are good die horribly because mm-hmm. this world does not have room for honor or justice, at least not yet. Maybe the books show that. I don't know. I haven't read the books. I don't know what season two has in store, but as of right now, anybody who tries to act honorably dies. And that really (laughs) makes me angry because it's like, I have nobody to actually root for. This whole show is about these people vying for the throne of this fictitious kingdom. And I'm not convinced any of them would be a good king. You know, it's like when I look at them, I go, do I want you in charge? No. Do I want you in charge? No. I definitely don't want that spoiled blonde kid. Somebody kill him. <laughs> kill him with fire. Yes. The, um, yeah, the key, the key to it for me was, um, Tyrion. I, I'm, I'm Camp Tyrion all the way. Uh, yes. Love him. Love He's, him. He, he is, to me, he is the character. Yes. That redeem because even though he is not necessarily a good person, not by any stretch, he is the smartest he, person in the kingdom. Though he is the smartest person in the kingdom, and everything he does has an incredibly well thought through reason. If I, yeah, if he was on my and, team, I would feel good about myself. Yeah. I would feel like I was doing and, something right. Yeah, 
And inside of that, even if he takes a bad action, he still has a sense of compassion. He does. He does. And that goes a long way in this. There is a there is a young boy in this who becomes crippled, and he helps that boy in a really unexpected and interesting way. You know, he gives that little boy the this mechanism by which he'll at least be able to ride horses, even though he's crippled. You know, he's like, and it's so. It was such a neat. That was the moment that turned the tide for me, where I went, okay, I will spend more time in this world, because so much of this world is so against everything that I personally believe, and it frustrates me because, in some respects, it reminds me of a horror film where a horror film, the writer and the director have all the power, and they go, mm-hmm. "We are going to scare you now." And we are going to make this villain completely unstoppable. And in the same way, I feel like fantasy writers, when they create a world that is not hinged to ours in any way, they suddenly hold all the cards. And I am only there to experience what they want to show me. And so far, what they're showing me is a world where nothing good is allowed to be. And people actually aren't good anyway. You know, and so it kind of frustrates me sometimes because it's like, no, somebody do something good. And you get these little glimpses of people, but even they are kind of not just flawed, but like they're just not good people either though. It's like, there's a handful of people like, like you said, um, Tyrion, I love and Arya. Mm-hmm. They're the two characters. Like I have to find out what happens to these two people. And I love, there was this great swordsman who showed up. Who was, I forget his name, Sirio or something, where he teaches Arya how to sword fight. Oh, that, those were great moments. I loved him. And the way he apparently leaves the show mm-hmm. was pretty phenomenal. <laughs> and there's a moment that's horrible, but I was rooting for it. <laughs> I was really wanting a character to die, and he dies in like kind of the worst way possible. And then, It's so true. In, in a way that made Kelly and I go to the internet to find out if that could happen. <laughs> We're like, this, how is, and we, we are clearly not alone in the world. A lot of people have Googled Golden Crown, apparently. <laughs> and then it ends in a really like shocking and amazing way as well season one i'm only talking about season one here and so i'm conflicted it's one of those shows that i think it's easily the best thing on television right now but at the same time it's in really good company because it's we have breaking bad we have mad men we have a lot of really great shows but it's a show i had have a very hard time recommending to anybody yeah It's it's, it's one of those like especially if you're one of my christian friends because it's a show i really really enjoy but there's a lot of really objectionable material in this. And it's not just violence. It's it's sex. And it's sex with various people and things and whatnot. And you go, and then there's also just people's actions. And then there's really graphic violence. And there's also nobody acting in a, what we would call a, a good or moral way. And so it's like, it's a very dark world that's not going to be for everybody. And I would have a hard time I both have a hard time recommending it, and I have no reservations in actually recommending it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, uh, to me, it's it's a fascinating world because I think that there is, I think the politics in it that has been written is so incredibly well written because it feels so real. Like it feels kind of like if our politicians today. Mm-hmm had the ability to actually kill each other more often. Right. Like, the politics in our world would probably be kind of like the politics mm-hmm. 
in Game of Thrones, which is kind of frightening in its own way. Uh, to me, that's kind of how I feel about mm-hmm. it. Um, and it's kind of one of those that even the bad characters, like Cersei, yes, like she is the the most hideous person, yes. possibly in the world, yes. But you can't not watch her. No, like, when she shows up, you know something's about to happen. Yeah, it, just, it's, like, it frustrates me so much that there was there is a good person in this show in season one who is utterly broken by the world by the end of it. He he is not even allowed a noble death because he mm-hmm. is broken and that made me so angry more than his actual death the fact that he wasn't allowed to not, not even allowed to, that's the thing it's like i don't know if it's i don't know i feel like i don't know enough about this world but i don't know if i want to read the books because i'm so emotionally invested right now mm-hmm. and i'm so conflicted it's like mm, because the way he the way this character dies it's like it's so maddening because i was rooting for him and i was really hoping he would stand there and go this man is not supposed to be the king, but he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. The um, uh, As far as reading the books goes, as someone who has read the books, um, I think this show is a fantastic adaptation of the Isn't books. Isn't season one basically the first book? Yes. Basically, that's how they're doing it. Is Each season is basically going to be one book. Mm-hmm. Um, which means that, you know, hopefully you'll finish up the means. entire series in about four or five means years. Start right. Um yeah, get get cracking, George. <laughs> um, but um, no, the uh, it's really well done because it isn't necessarily a one to one literal translation right. of the books. It is an adaptation. A lot of the stuff does happen similarly, but they combine a few scenes. They mm-hmm. add a few scenes to explain some things. Um, it's not, you know, it's definitely you know definitely not a one to one thing. But at the end of the day, the main events are the main events that occur mm-hmm. and the questions and the the world understanding and everything that that you're struggling with mm-hmm. is exactly what the books present to you. Well that's awesome. And and so I'm not saying that that you're not missing something by reading the books cuz cuz there is a separate experience to be had doing right. that. Um but at the same time if all you're getting is the movie you're still not missing the experience right. necessarily um or the show not the movie so uh yeah i again uh, i give all of the caveats that scott does but at the same time it's it's the one of the most engrossing kinds of shows that you can watch oh it absolutely is um, i mean th- yeah. th- this like i said like season one is 10 episodes and each episode is a real hour it's an hbo hour which means mm-hmm. and it's not 45 minutes plus 15 minutes of commercials it's an hour show and so we Kelly and I were like, well, let's check this out. And three nights later, we'd watch 10 hours of Game mm-hmm. of Thrones. And it's a very absorbing uh, show. It's like, I think my struggle, because Kelly is kind of amused by my consternation with the, the show's lack of good characters, because she doesn't have that need in her entertainment. Her favorite, mm-hmm. one of her favorite books and movies is Gone with the Wind, which she acknowledges has a terrible main character. And that's what mm-hmm. she kind of likes about it, is that she's kind of unlikable and rude and all of these things. Um, for me, though, it's like... And see, I, I watch Breaking Bad, which is filled with a lot of not nice people. And I watch Mad Men, which is filled with a lot of selfish people. And I watch other shows. Like, I'm okay with characters but, behaving But they badly. often have... They have redeeming qualities as well. Right. And they exist in my world. Mm-hmm. You know, so as I watch Breaking Bad... 
I know there is good in the Breaking Bad world because Walter White actually is living in my world and I look around and I can see goodness in my world. I can see grace. I can see forgiveness. I can see people acting unselfishly. And I turn on Game of Thrones and they are not in my world. And so I'm being introduced to this new world and I'm being shown this. And so far, um, if you're good, you're either going to be broken or the world's going to kill you because it doesn't have any you don't have a place in this world and i find that a little frustrating but very compelling at the same time it's like it is a show that i can't stop watching and i actually just recently i last night i emailed hbo because i want them to make their shows available for download um quicklier (laughs) instead of waiting instead of waiting a year the the idea of waiting a year for season two to come out on dvd and blu-ray um is extremely frustrating knowing that it's on it's on hbo right now season episode one has already aired people have already downloaded and watched it i'm sure and i am trying to behave in the way that they're telling me they want me to behave and i'm trying not to download it but why don't you know other shows make their episodes available the week their episode airs via itunes or their own website I'm like, come on, HBO, make your show available. I will give you money. I want to give you money. But I want to watch your show more. So if you don't let me give you money, I might go do illegal things and feel slightly (laughs) guilty. (laughs) I I try to write the nicest letter to them going, I want to watch Boardwalk Empire and I want to watch Game of Thrones. I don't want to wait a year, though. Can I give you money and you give me a digital copy of these episodes? Because that would be awesome. I don't know why they're not doing that right now. I know they want subscribers, but here's a great way for them to make money from people like me who don't have cable TV to give them money. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's that's a whole <laughs> separate discussion, but yes, uh, I completely concur with your premise. So, yeah. So, um, Spartacus. Spartacus. Yes, the uh, 1960 film, not the current uh, TV show. So, on, on a slight tangent, I know we've just begun, <laughs> but I wanted to, because I think we're, it's, we've already referenced it once, now twice. Um, two years ago, I was writing for a website called TV Over Mind. It still exists, tvmindover.com. It's a great website um, run by some really great people. Um, I was, at the time, writing TV reviews, and I was trying to keep up with certain shows that were coming out, and I was given a uh, like a preview advance copy of the first two episodes of Spartacus Blood and Sand, Stars' take or adaptation of Spartacus' story. Um, I was less than impressed. I think the title of my of my article was Spartacus, Blood and Sand, Epic Fail. (laughs) I did not like it. People have tried to convince me since then that it is a great television show. Um, Uh, Especially on that post. If you were to go look it up, there there are are currently 82 responses uh, to my post. Uh, Two of them are mine, because I like to respond to people when they say things. Um, and everybody else is cursing at eighty people. Most of them are like, "You are wrong." And one one woman was really angry, like, "I didn't watch this show based on this review. I didn't watch it for years, and now I'm watching it, and I regret ever having read this." And I was like, "Well, thank you for reading." I'm excited <laughs> if you'd like to check it out. Um, but anyway, if you would like to check it out, I'll provide a link to it. Um, and to me, it, it gets into the style. It kind of goes back to my, some of my frustrations with the show, uh, the movie Centurion, in which uh, 
to me, especially, I only watched the first two episodes and people on Facebook last night were even telling me that I was wrong and I needed to give Spartacus a second chance. Um, but the first two episodes were all style and no substance. It's really my one line. Uh, yeah. Is yeah, it to, was all to, to, 300 and I just didn't care about anything. And it just kind of felt like, again, I, 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 I do have a hard time sometimes. And Spartacus was the show that really kind of awakened this realization that I feel like a lot of um, actresses are kind of mistreated. I don't know. If, I don't know how the actresses feel. I'm not speaking on their behalf, but I do think it's unfortunate how many of them, if they want to have any kind of career, especially on HBO, Showtime, or Stars, they have to get completely naked. And Spartacus was the show that kind of really made me realize that because every single woman that's on that show is basically asked to get naked multiple times and in slow motion and all these things and just like it just wasn't good. And like the this like the acting like most of the actors were really bad john hannah lucy lawless the guy who played spartacus phenomenal actors doing a really great job on that show everybody else i felt like was just yeah it's because uh, we actually watched yeah we watched the, the episode yeah. together um and and i'm going to preface this i've only seen the the pilot episode i watched it and kind of went well if that's what this show is i don't need to keep watching it because it was it was laughably bad the first episode Mm -hmm. and even the people who have tried to convince scott and i to keep watching have said get past the first four episodes and it gets good yeah and people have even i read an interesting review last night who said oh the show's trashy no doubt but it's got good stuff going on in it Mm -hmm. and i don't i don't like having to have to have that kind of what am I looking for? So what I'm looking for. If you have to say that about a show to make me watch it, going, oh no, it's terrible, but there's good things in it. I'm not interested. I want you to come up to me and go, this is the best show you're ever going to see. Um, it's got some. It's got. It might have some material in it that you might not like, that you might object to, but it's all. You'll understand why it's all there. You know, mm-hmm. that to me is a completely different statement than, oh no, because th- my question. If then, you can, if you can look past the trashiness of right. it, then there might be occasional nuggets. Right. I mean, that's that, not that's quite not the my, same my, thing. That's my response then to people is, well, are you just used to the fact that you know, are you just excited when something good happens, or you know, are you just used to how terrible most of it is, and then something good happens, and oh, good, this is happening, and these three actors do a great job over here, but for the other forty-five minutes of the show, you're, you're given this, you know, super slow motion fighting and blood flying out of things and you know sexy sexiness and i'm just like i just don't care about that you know again i loved game of thrones or hated it or loved it and it's filled with a lot of the same things but it's done in a way that is more mature (laughs) well it's done in a way that kind of matters yeah i would say like i don't like there there are there were a couple moments in game of thrones i did feel like we're a little extraneous that were a little over the top uh when it came to uh the nudity and the sex that were that were being presented to me um but for the most part everything is there to kind of flesh out the world in a way that makes me make it makes everything make more sense like it, it does explore the characters it does i go oh so this is where this guy's coming from he's okay with this this and this that's why when he becomes that that makes you know it makes more sense to me where again it's like a lot of the people who responded to my review were like that's what roman society was like people were horrible and i'm like maybe they were maybe they weren't even if they were that doesn't make it entertaining to me you know just because that's what the body looks like doesn't mean i need to it needs to be shot that way it doesn't mean i need to be need to see it mutilated in that way 
mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, um, just as a kind of a, a side note to that, um, or kind of a, an example that I have very recently. Um, last weekend, I went and saw The Hunger Games. Yes. Um, I think we talked about that on our yeah. last podcast. Um, but uh, when we went to see it, we went to, uh, we're up here in Nashville, and, and a, what, a year ago, two years ago, there was a flood that came through mm-hmm. and basically destroyed Opry Mills Mall, which is our huge mall. It's where our IMAX theater right. is and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Big, big tourists. I heard there were sharks swimming stuff. in the mall. Something like that, because there was the aquarium yeah. restaurant that got flooded and stuff. Anyhow, um, so this last weekend, I forgot, was also reopening weekend for it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so... I had known that the theater had opened a, a few weeks ago, and I was like, man, I want to actually go to a good theater, because as we've discussed on this podcast before, our local theater has gotten really, really bad, and I've had a couple of bad experiences there, and have not enjoyed. So I'm like, Brandy, we're going to go to the good theater, and we're going to go see The Hunger Games, because we really want to go see The Hunger mm-hmm. Games. She's like, great, let's take my mom, and we all went, and we saw it, and it was, it was you know, etc. Mm-hmm. But to get to the theater, it took us 45 minutes from the exit on the interstate to get off at the mall to actually get to the mall there was so much traffic there um and then when we went in and saw the movie um there's a lot of themes in the movie about kind of the excess of the capital right compared to kind of the third world country conditions of the the other districts yes and um and it's not a happy movie, and it's it's kind of a damning sort of movie mm-hmm. of any number of things. Um, the excesses of society being one of them mm-hmm. that it significantly addresses. And um, and I walked out of the theater back into the mall, and like the whole absurdity of the thing hit me. Right. Um, and it was bizarre because it didn't hit anybody else that I could tell. Mm -hmm. Very few of the other people in the theater, I think, were having the same experience. Uh, My wife and my wife's mother did not have the same experience that I had. But for me, I walked out of there just kind of disgusted with myself for having waited in a car to drive half a mile for 45 minutes to get into the shopping mecca of everything mm-hmm. um you know and then just being in this mall surrounded by thousands of people who were just there again to be entertained t- to be entertained and i had just paid money to be entertained by a movie about kids killing each other right um you know it's like there there's a certain level of like it's con- the movie condemns the hunger games but at the same time it puts you in the position of enjoying the hunger games which is a very you know it's 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 and then tying for me that all just kind of tied back into these discussions of of roman movies as we're getting here into um um stuff and to me that's kind of what the tv show spartacus did that's kind of my reaction to it is it's all of the excess with none of the um with none of the message yeah and maybe maybe in season three the message is loud and clear i've read reviews where they go oh but it's really interesting the way they explore the relationship between the owner and the slave and how slavery is a thing that destroys people's souls 
and that's that's really great if they're if they're doing that and they're doing it in a way that's reaching people i'm all for it it's just you know when I, when I look at that and i look at the show rome which mm-hmm. is a show i will be recommending at the end of this podcast it's like it's such a night and day difference though where it's like i just can't get behind this where this seems like a celebration of blood and breasts and other shows can explore these same messages in a way that's i think more mentally stimulating no offense to anybody you know it's just yeah and well and and what i was going to say is like i think i had a different experience with the hunger games and the movie than a lot of the people who experienced it did Mm -hmm. and i think that that may also be the case for the tv show spartacus Mm -hmm. um but for me it really didn't work yeah and again yeah to each their own i'm glad people are enjoying the show um i really i don't again as something i think i was telling lauren before the beginning of this podcast is there's so many great shows out there right now and there's so many shows that i'm actually revisiting because i like them so much i'm watching them a second time and there's so many new movies coming out every week and old movies that i'm finally getting to find that i i personally don't really have time for spartacus i don't think less of people who like spartacus um it's not for me it's a it's a adaptation i do not personally approve of and i would i would encourage people to look elsewhere if you want a good slavery revolt story or otherwise but you know check it out if you really want to and tell me how wrong i am 80 other people have and it's been a source of great entertainment to me to watch people's like really vehement responses to it and it's it comes down to opinion and taste and whatnot um and that's oh sorry that, that was a little bit longer of a tangent than I meant for us to get into before we actually got into Stanley Kubrick's uh, approach or is that even Kubrick's approach more of a uh, Kirk Douglas's approach to telling the story of Spartacus uh, back in 1960 a really interesting movie um, I found it was kind of what's interesting about this movie it came about in 1960 one year after Ben Hur. Um, which we may have seen as number yes. 100 on our list. Yeah. So, yes. It, interesting, because uh, Kirk Douglas apparently auditioned for the role of Ben-Hur, did not get it, and then set out to, quote, make my Ben-Hur. <laughs> you know, it's like, he really got into his head that he really wanted to make a movie like that, make a movie of that scope, that size, and that kind of a story, and then decided to basically adapt the Spartacus story, which is a real story. Spartacus is a real person from history. Uh, that we don't actually know a lot about, uh, which I think is what kind of leads to some of the faults of this film, which we can get into here in a little bit. Um, But it's a big, big, sprawling uh, film that um, I think Anthony Mann was the original director, and he directed the opening sequence, which is in the salt mines, where uh, Spartacus is first found. And then... um, And then he was fired. Stanley Kubrick fired him. uh, Kirk Douglas Douglas fired him, him. replaced him with Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick. Um, uh, And this is the most un-Kubrickian film you're going to see that Stanley Kubrick is attached to. For better or for worse, it is not doesn't feel like a stanley kubrick film yeah it's you know and i think a lot of that has to do with him coming in you know a week into production on it you know right if you're a director coming into a movie and uh you know all the casting is done and storyboarding is done and sets are built and you know uh there's kind of a certain level of you know i'm sure he got to change some stuff and make it his own but at the same time it's definitely not a yeah. typical Stanley Kubrick film, again, he, for better or worse. That's he, just... And he clearly did. I mean, the story basically is that the director of photography 
didn't feel like he had much of a job on set because Kubrick was so in charge of where the camera was, what the lighting situation was. Uh, the DP complained and complained and complained until he won an Academy Award for his cinematography in, in uh, Spartacus. Um, so, yeah, kind of interesting. Little, so Kubrick clearly had a very strong hand, at least in that part, but he had no control over the script, which I, I read led to a lot of consternation from him. He didn't like a lot of the the moments and especially i think i read he didn't like all the quote-unquote stupid moralizing that the film does <laughs> there is a fair amount of stupid moralizing in it and it really surprised me actually because it's not something it takes a very interesting stance in the first in the opening sequence that i don't think you would see in modern cinema at all Mm-mm. in which it says like they did this there's this narrator who says you know back bef- just at the dawn right before christianity you know ushered out paganism and before we entered into that you know that glorious time that christianity ruled the world i was like wow that's really fascinating because it's not something you hear especially when you get into a roman movie or television show Mm -hmm. usually it's more of a celebration of that culture and christianity is either not in the show or movie at all or is kind of seen in a perfunctory tangential Mm -hmm. way yeah so it's interesting that it sets it up as a this is a bad time, but that's just because Christianity wasn't around yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is yeah, it's a very weird way to get into that. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a very interesting movie to me because it does it follows uh, kind of the story of Spartacus, who starts out as a slave in a mine, mm-hmm. and then uh, he basically attacks one of the overseers and mm-hmm. gets bought before he can get be executed. He gets bought. Right. Um, by a gladiator trainer and taken yeah. to his gladiator school. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is maybe the... F- well, after the uh, overture, which takes up the first seven minutes of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the credits and everything. Uh, this is the first 30 minutes after that of the movie. is kind of him being trained as a gladiator, mm-hmm. him in the school, him meeting the the, the, the love interest, yeah. um, and just kind of creating this, this world that he now has to operate in. Mm-hmm. And... By far, the first 30 minutes of the movie is the best 30 minutes of the movie, in my mind. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Um, it, it's filled with a lot of really great moments in it. Two of my favorite moments in this film are in this op- opening sequence. Um, after he's bought and brought to the gladiator school, he's thrown into this kind of jail cell, basically, where he's going to live. And he's introduced to this woman who's going to live with him you know basically the school says you know and we give you a woman who lives with you and takes care of you and these things and she's kind of thrown in there and kind of made to strip down and then all of a sudden we realize there's these men watching from above and they're yelling and encouraging spartacus to do things and um spartacus starts yelling at them i'm not an animal you know like and it's it's such a great just almost primal moment where he and this woman have been reduced to they're slaves, and they're they're clearly been reduced to less than human. They're they're mm-hmm. being reduced to the point of being animals, basically. Mm-hmm. And he's fighting back. He's going, no, you cannot treat me that way. And this is really kind of almost the the first time. I mean, he does fight back in the salt mine a little bit, but this is the first time we really realize he is going to fight against this entire system mm-hmm. because of the way it treats other humans. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic sequence. Um, the, the the guy who does the training is is really interesting. He's got some really good stuff in there where he just kind of berates him. And um, Peter Ustinov is mm-hmm. who's one of my favorite 
character actors from from this time period is in this movie and he plays the owner of this gladiator school right and he is one of the brightest spots in this movie anytime he is on screen him and Lawrence olivier he and, he and sir Lawrence olivier whenever they are on screen if it's just peter ustinoff he steals the show from anybody else on screen with him yeah and he gives Lawrence olivier a run for his money mm-hmm. um Lawrence Olivier is also fantastic in this movie. He, um, he he has a couple of you know monologues and stuff that he does in this film that are just riveting. Yeah. Um, even one uh, that is voiced by right. Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. Hop- no, um, no joke. That literally Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. It was a scene that was cut from the film when it was originally released because of uh, by the censors. censors exactly they didn't they didn't care for the content. It's basically it's all kind of spoken in euphemisms, but it's basically a scene where Laurence Olivier's character basically proposes to a man and says, "Basically, I'm bisexual. What do you think? Shall mm-hmm. we? Uh, eh, eh, nudge, mm-hmm. nudge, wink, wink." And so they cut they cut it. Um, and when they decided back in 1991, when they released this on DVD, um, they wanted to put that scene back in it, but there was no sound. Um, yeah, no, they, they had the, the negative, had, I guess, but they didn't have the right. soundtrack for it. They anymore. lost the soundtrack, and the actor playing the servant was still around and was able to re-record his lines, but uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier had already passed away. And Sir Lawrence Olivier's wife went, well, you know who does a good Olivier? It's Anthony Hopkins. Because Anthony Hopkins had trained under... Yeah, Lawrence Olivier, and, and, and he so, and he could do the voice. So they had him come in and record the lines. And so if you watch the, any DVD, really, um, from my understanding of uh, Spartacus, there's a scene in which Anthony Hopkins' voice appears <laughs> as uh, Sir, Sir Lawrence Olivier's. Yeah, voice. and and it's fantastic. You, if you you won't even notice if I didn't yeah. if I hadn't read that, I wouldn't have known. It's yeah. he is it's phenomenal. Yeah, um, yeah, the, and. Even when he's not being voiced by Anthony Hopkins, um, Lawrence Olivier is amazing in this movie. He he just has this air of gravitas to him that, mm-hmm. you know, he can, I mean, he, he could be on the scene just like, you know, doing cartwheels or something. I think everybody <laughs> would be watching him. But uh, his stuff and Peter Ustinoff's in this are very good. Um, the other actor is Charles, Charles Lawton, who kind of does um, the opposite character of Olivier's. He's kind of the other roman senator who kind of is pitted against him and he holds up very well in this movie as well and kind of kind of does but he's not particularly but excellent either a lot unfortunately olivier is so good and these other actors are so good that a lot of the other actors end up suffering by comparison which is not fair and unfortunate it's one of those things where it's like it's almost not fair to compare but you can't help but notice how certain roman centurions Mm -hmm. can't hold a candle to Olivier, <laughs> yeah. you know. And even Kirk Douglas, who's in the title role, is really overshadowed by these other and, actors. And it's and he is, and it's interesting because he's the title character, but his character is really underwritten. Mm-hmm. He's not really given a lot to do in this movie, um, which I was really surprised by. He really is kind of a reactionary character mm-hmm. who, yes, he incites a slave re- revolt, which is true to history, but in between those moments we're not given a lot to really root for we're not really given a lot we don't get to really know spartacus yeah. it it almost it almost has no emotional impact any of the stuff that happens to him because he just he's never developed beyond just right. this character who's not an animal it's up for up through that first 30 minutes you're with him and then after that that's all you really get beyond that yeah he's, it's 
he, he's not really much of anything. And they try to give you these moments. There's these moments where he has with the love interest, mm-hmm. but they don't quite work. Yeah, they don't quite ring true enough to actually... Right. And then there's moments yeah. with his men where there's a, there's a magician on in his camp for some reason um, who throws an egg in his face, more or less. <laughs> you know, which, is, he, which is a funny moment, but it doesn't it, it's necessarily... It's a funny moment, but it, it, it almost feels like a moment where Kubrick or Douglas or somebody kind of almost knowingly went we haven't humanized him enough. We should make fun of him and just kind of, you know, kind of just take the piss out of him a little bit. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be good. It'll be good. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. And it almost was like a moment they tacked in there because it doesn't have a lot to do with um, the rest of anything. But I don't know. It's like yeah. The Spartacus and, character himself. Yeah. And, uh, we, and we need to have a more emotional root to this guy. Yeah. Um, and it, we're not, you know, when and, you think, when you, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, while they're doing that with him, while they're not developing him very much, the Roman antagonist mm-hmm. is getting huge character development. To yeah. the point where he basically, after the first 30 minutes, he becomes the new main character of the movie. Yeah. Which is very bizarre. Very bizarre. Um, it, it would be like watching Braveheart, and after the opening 30 minutes where uh, William Wallace's wife is killed, we start following the King of England around. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, what about Wallace? He was really interesting. <laughs> you know, he had things going on. Oh, he's back and he's gone. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's really kind of a bizarre storytelling device they use because I don't feel like they even used, even though they give him a lot, I was kind of frustrated because I wanted to know more about the Roman society. And it's like, well, then if, if this is what we're doing, then maybe this is an exploration of Roman society and their use of slaves. But it's really not quite that either. And so it's like, I'm not quite sure. Mm-hmm. what this movie is. At yeah, this I mean, at, at best, I would say it's kind of a deconstruction of McCarthyism and kind of the blacklisting. It absolutely um, is. And, you know, I think, um, you know, Kirk Douglas is basically credited with, with breaking the blacklist because of this movie. Yeah. Um, because he, he, he was willing to hire a writer that was blacklisted. Yeah. He very specifically hired, um, yeah, the writer was blacklisted, and a lot of the smaller actors that mm-hmm. are, appear in this were blacklisted, which kind of forced... Um, Hollywood to kind of go, mm-hmm. okay, you're off the list. You know, we yeah. can't continue on with this. But there is a lot of uh, themes that go along with McCarthyism, mm-hmm. and there's even a lot of dialogue that goes right back mm-hmm. to that and showing how... Which is very interesting stuff, but at the same time, uh, there are other movies that that deal with, you know, from a similar time period, like, we're going to get to High Noon and, you know, 60 movies or so, and... It deals kind with of, these same themes significantly better than this movie. Yeah, does. I'm not convinced this was the best story to explore McCarthyism with. Mm-hmm. You know, because this is a slave revolt. It seems like it, you could do other things. Because apparently, um, Kirk Douglas um, wanted, really wanted the story at first to kind of mirror the, the plight of Israel. Mm-hmm. And wanted to use that to kind of explore the way Israel has come into its own nation, has had to fight for its freedom and all of these things. And he kind of got in a fight with the writer and other people, and eventually it became more of a McCarthyism movie. But I kind of think that it might have done better if, because if it had that subplot, because he apparently wanted there to be this uh, this Jewish character that would kind of go along the same path that Spartacus would go on, and it's really not there. Yeah, but um, so yeah, it's kind of a movie that struggles with itself as far as the storytelling goes. It's it's kind of all over the place a little bit. There's a lot of really good moments yeah. in it that are kind of spattered between 
you know, waiting. three and a half hours of, of people walking and that kind of thing. Um, lots, lots of people of walking. walking. At the same time, some of the walking is actually some of the most impressive filmmaking because there are, again, literally thousands of people on the screen at one time. I think I read it. at one point there was like 9,000 extras. They, they literally brought in like the Spanish army to play yeah. the Roman army. Yeah. And so there's a lot of people. And so those scenes, mm-hmm. while you're kind of, you are kind of waiting for the story to kick into gear, mm-hmm. those moments are really fascinating mm-hmm. and phenomenal because there's so many people on on the screen and you know they're all actually there mm-hmm. there is no computer creating these characters and mm-hmm. that's yep. fantastic you know at the same time there are movies that came out um within a couple of years of this like uh anthony mann who was the original director on this before stanley kubrick came in uh, just a couple of years later went and made el cid oh. um, which i talked about a couple yeah. of weeks ago on the podcast and it's even bigger than this movie is, if you will. It's, I mean, it it's shot on like the super seventy millimeter, you know, super technorama kind of thing, and it has, you know, the entire army in it as well. And it, I mean, so it's it's a bigger movie, and, and I would personally say a better movie than mm-hmm. this is. Um, well, even comparing it to Ben Hur, which mm-hmm. came out a year before, I feel like is it works better as a story. It, it has a very similar scope. It might not have as many mm-hmm. extras, but. Yeah. I think I kind of feel like it works better as a movie, and it it you don't feel like it's a small movie in any way when you watch it. Yeah, um, no, I would say yeah, definitely Ben Hur. I would personally rank as a much better film than mm-hmm. uh, than this. Um, th- this movie it really fits into a weird place for me um, because it's being released in in 1960. It has this very weird sensibility to it where it's it has a lot of the 50s still left in it so it's got a lot of that cecil b DeMille, um you know uh 10 commandments kind of mm-hmm. thing where a lot of it is shot on you know slightly cheesy looking sets yeah um costuming and, the- and where the costuming is really rough and the haircuts are really rough and it's it's not striving for realism in it's the way it's not quite accurate enough yet it kind of wants to put it, makes, it, it wants to make you think yeah. it's accurate. It doesn't have that William Wyler or kind of thing where it goes to that next level of being, yeah. you know, Ben Hur, which which really does go into like just these amazing set designs that are much more realistic and and into costuming that's more realistic and uh, you know just it it sits in this weird place where it it doesn't quite seem to know what it wants to be from those directions, mm-hmm. um, which really doesn't help it any it kind of pulls it out of of the moment um it it kind of feels like well we can get away with it because we're putting on roman spectacle and right. so people don't have to be we can just kind of put them in sacks and it's okay we don't actually right. have to give them a wardrobe or whatever and and it just doesn't quite work today to do that no um it's also it's a battle movie which a lot of a lot of the epic movies are not necessarily battle movies. They may have a battle scene in them, mm-hmm. but this is kind of one of the first movies that has really big troop movement kind of things in it. And like that, big, no, the final battle yeah. is really impressive. They have a there's a moment where they, the uh, Spartacus's army lights these huge logs on fire, and you see these men rolling them down into other people, and you see people getting rolled over, mm-hmm. real people getting rolled over by these flaming logs, and it's it's really it's cool stuff it's the mm-hmm. kind of spectacle you like to see in a big movie yeah but that said it 
you know, in 1960, I mean, this stuff was really shocking. There's lots of blood. There's, mm-hmm. you know, arms getting cut off and stuff and, like, little spurts of blood shooting yeah, out. Yeah, so, and a lot of that stuff was initially censored and cut mm-hmm. out of the film yeah. that was initially released. Because, I mean, this this movie shocked audiences. It shocked the censors and stuff. And, and so, you know, that's, that's very important historical kinds of things. But mm-hmm. even in the restored version, seeing it now... It just doesn't quite... Some of that It's pretty tame. Yeah, it's pretty tame, and some of it doesn't work. Like, the arms getting lopped off are incredibly prosthetic, with, like, three three little shoots of blood coming on. You're kind of like, eh. Yeah. We've seen better than that, you know. But it, you also have to put it a little bit into the context of the time to understand right. that. But, so the, the battle scenes kind of go from, like, well, this is really interesting, and look at the cool Roman formations and burning logs, right. to oh, look, they're stabbing the ground behind that guy, kind of, <laughs> right. you know. It's it's not it's not at the level of action that we expect today, right. which, is, which is really an unfair thing to expect of a movie made then, right. but at the same time, it's hard to look past, especially after the three yeah. hours getting to the battles were so uneven. Yeah, and that's, and that's also kind of the thing. It's like you can see a lot of modern movies in this movie. Like a lot, you know, when you when you think of the historical epics, uh, when you think of Braveheart, when you think of Gladiator, so much of those movies come from Spartacus. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, and I was really kind of amazed by that. There were moments in this I went, "That's Braveheart. That's a scene from Braveheart." I mean, not you know, not word for word, but clearly Mel Gibson and uh, uh, the writers who name who's eludes me sat down and was like, this is what I want to capture. This is what I want to remake here in our own Scottish way. Gladiators, same way. Um, in some respects, actually, if you want to talk about the story of Spartacus, the historical story, the, the movie Gladiators are actually a little bit closer in some respects to the actual historical narrative that is Spartacus, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. But I have to believe Ridley Scott sat down and was like, this is the movie we're making, <laughs> you know, with modern sensibilities. Yeah. The, um, uh, kind of the the big ending, or the big the big thing for this movie that kind of shows its flaws, if you will, mm-hmm. is for me the the ending is this moment yeah. where um, Spartacus is. And this is spoiler territory, but it, this movie's old enough. You should have seen it by now. Um, <laughs> I think after fifty he, years, you can yeah, spoil it. you can spoil it. Um, you know, he's he's crucified, and he's he's like the last of the rebels to be crucified, and he's placed right. on the main roadway, you know, leading From out of Rome. To Rome, yeah. And his his wife and son are escaping town with Peter Ustinov, mm-hmm. um, and they stop, and she kind of presents the son, and he's like, "But your son is free," kind of thing to him. Yeah. And it's supposed to be kind of this big moment because even though it's not your typical happy ever after ending, which which I'm fine with, uh, you know, the the tragic it's a, no, it's ending a big is kind of good. Victory. It's a big moral victory. You know, his son is free, even though you know for for the son he of has, a slave to be free, that's a huge. He has made thing. the world a better place. Yeah, um, but there's no emotional connection to that. Um, they they haven't. In making this film, it doesn't build to that moment. Um, in another film, that could have been the most amazing moment ever. But in this movie, it really isn't. The, for me, the better ending already happened 15 minutes ago, in which um, it, there's a big battle, and then there's about 3,000 men, I think, who are left after the battle. And um, the Roman goes, okay, uh, you, you are going to be crucified, Unless you present to me whichever you is Spartacus, um, then the rest of you can kind of go free as long as I get the man in charge. And 
it looks like Spartacus is about to stand up, but instead someone else does it goes, I am Spartacus. And so the Romans kind of turn and go, oh, okay. And then another man stands up, I, no, I'm Spartacus. All of a sudden, all these men are standing up claiming, no, I'm Spartacus. Um, basically going, no, we are not going to turn this man over, even though it means our, you know, possible freedom. Um, we stand together. We stand united. And Spartacus, you know, can you see him actually crying? And you have, the, and that to me was the moment that maybe worked the best out of this mm-hmm. whole movie was, and that to me was almost more of what the movie was about mm-hmm. than the additional 15 minutes that took place afterwards. Yeah. And even um, then, um, even if they had gone with the next 15 minutes, the the part leading up to him fighting right. Tony Curtis's character, right? even, even that was an, could have been a second good ending where it's kind of like, you know what, both of us are going to die in this moment. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's this really neat moment because you know you have all these men who've been trained to be gladiators, and then they're made to f- they're being made to fight again. And Spartacus is clearly not interested in fighting because he's like, no, I am not a gladiator. I'm not a slave. I'm not an animal. Mm-hmm. You're not going to make me fight. Tony Curtis, on the other hand, is looks at his friend and goes, I'm not going to let you suffer the, the horrible thing of crucifixion. I'm going to kill you here and now, quick. So like, you I'll have, take the crucifixion rather than you. So they're yeah. both fighting to spare the other one from crucifixion. And, and in that that initial reveal of what's happening mm-hmm. is really astounding. Mm-hmm. And you just go, that's amazing. And this really interesting layered friendship. Because it's, yeah, because it's a, it's a layered friendship moment. And it's kind of this thing turning the gladiator slavery thing on its head where they are weirdly both still fighting as free men. Right inside this thing where right. they're being forced to fight as gladiators. Just because the Romans are looking at them as animals mm-hmm. doesn't mean they're behaving like animals, mm-hmm. which is really a phenomenal moment. And if the, again, if the, if the movie ended there with maybe uh, Spartacus being stabbed and he dies, mm-hmm. and then we see his body as, as his friend is led away to be crucified, mm-hmm. that I thought yeah. would have been, that could have been like, oh, wow, that's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, or even the other way around and just kind of end on his crucifixion or either way, it could have worked, but then it keeps going beyond that. It ha- it's, it's almost like it has three endings, <laughs> yeah. and the one they finally go with doesn't have the payoff. Each one has a, it, each ending has diminishing returns. Yeah, and so it's like I would have been happy with them ending at the "I am Spartacus" moment, where he's like, "Okay, well, fine, you're all going to be executed." Then I'd have been fine with that. I'd have been fine with the, them ending at the at the fight. And but thus it, ended the reign of Spartacus's you know rebellion. And kind you just kind of keep yeah. going, especially and it was especially frustrating is that none of those endings are actually the historical narrative. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like Spartacus died in battle, the end. He didn't mm-hmm. get crucified. And so then I'm going, well, Hollywood, if you're going to give me an additional 20 minutes of film, it better be better than what the narrative would have been. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it better you better have a reason for showing me this new ending, and you don't. Mm-hmm. You know, because you could have, if, if the purpose was to show the sun... You could have had that same moment on the battlefield with Spartacus bleeding to death, and they find him, and she's like, but it's going to be okay. Your son's going to get to live as a free man, and they walk off the battlefield. You know, you could have ended it there in the exact same way, and it might have been more emotionally resonant than the whole thing. But this kind of takes me to my frustration with the whole movie, which is, this movie is three and a half hours long, maybe more. I almost want to say it's... Anyway... It's long. It's about two hours too long for my for yeah, me. It's like it, it could have made a really, really, really good hour long. Like if there was an hour long cut of this movie, <laughs> yeah, you know, or a ninety minute cut of yeah, it, I have me, a feeling it would actually be really 
give me a song really entertaining yeah this, because there's just really when it comes down to it, there's not enough story here even with the phenomenal actors that you have there's really just there's not enough because like i was watching the movie and i knew it was about the slave revolution but the revolt or them escaping from prison and the gladiator camp takes place in the first 30 minutes of the movie i paused it and i was like i still have three more hours of this mm-hmm. yeah there was there was so much room to turn it into a robin hood story or to yeah. turn it into anything other than where it went i mean because this is clearly not the historical narrative so mm-hmm. have some more fun with it ha- take the spirit of spartacus and you know mm-hmm. yeah turn it into ro- turn it into a roman robin hood mm-hmm. turn it into braveheart turn it yeah. into something that because honestly it, i felt like it lost its direction once they escaped and it's like mm-hmm. the movie kind of lost its footing and had to start over again and reintroduce this new world because everything had changed and i was like i don't know if i'm invested enough to spend three more hours with yeah, these people there's there's kind of a point right at the end um where Lawrence olivier's character like not right at the end but you know two and a half hours into this movie <laughs> right. whatever where he's like like uh where he's with peter ustinoff and he's like um find me you know i need you to identify the spartacus and the guy's like but you've met him and he's like oh i know who this spartacus is and that's kind of how i felt with the movie like we're two and a half hours in yeah and like they've only you know we're kind of in that guy's shoes where we just don't know who spartacus is and we're just kind of getting like oh yeah they did meet two and a half hours ago oh yeah yeah wouldn't it have been cool if we could have just cut from then to here and how did i the audience even forget that that's to me the kind of the tragedy of it is like when you have that moment where they've met and it continues on that should be something that you remember and so when it comes down to that moment yeah i feel like there's a lot there was a lot of missed kind of opportunities and so i don't know Shall we, is there anything else you'd like to touch on, or should we kind of move into well, the, I, the verdict? Yeah, I just want to say that uh, Hollywood, if you're listening between this and the TV show, there's a lot of room for a good Spartacus movie. There is. Um, and I feel like there's a kind of already... I'm oh, sorry. Go to the verdict before I go to the two Spartacus movies I think that already exist that are great. Yes. Yeah, the verdict. <laughs> um, it's not a bad movie. It's, um, you know, it. I can see... I can see the subversive elements in this kind of being the anti-McCarthyism things. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see the scope of it and the gravitas of some of the actors in it. I can see how it would fit into a certain time mm-hmm. in history, in, in the, the 1960s, kind of hitting an audience in a way, especially the I'm Spartacus scene and yeah. stuff. I, you know, I can see that really getting into the popular culture and, and really influencing people. Um, you know, if I put this into the context of Mad Men in right. the first season of Mad Men, yeah, this is going to be a huge shift in perspective. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, I can see that it, it kind of helped launch Stanley Kubrick's career into the mainstream. I say mainstream, he was never exactly mainstream, but you know what I mean, into prominent director versus yeah. not prominent director. So there's there's a lot of good things that came out of this movie and that, um, you know, it, it certainly paved the way for future um, movies that we love today, like Braveheart and Gladiator and stuff. But that said, in and of itself, it's two hours too long and really not the best of historical epic movies i concur (laughs) i think you you summed it up very well there's one scene in here that um we haven't touched on yet and there's there's a moment in this movie that 
um, Spartacus and another gladiator are sitting in this tunnel. They're about to go out into the arena, and it's this dark, dark tunnel, and you, the camera is set inside this tunnel. And at the end of the tunnel is a doorway that has like kind of slats, so you can kind of almost see through into the arena, but you can't quite. And beyond that door, a fight is taking place. Two gladiators are fighting, so all you can hear are these grunts, these groans, the, the banging of swords and shields. And it's this really emotional moment that works so phenomenally well that you're in there and you're scared with them because you feel like you're about to be pushed out into that arena and you look at these two guys who've been training for the past however long they've been together and they're looking at each other knowing one of them is about to die and it's they're going to die because the other one's going to have to kill them yeah it's kind of funny because that scene is amazing for me as well and it's it's kind of one of those moments in the movie where I'm like, oh yeah, this is a Stanley Kubrick film, isn't it? Yes. It's a mass. This is the, that's the moment we realize a master craftsman is at the helm. Mm-hmm. And I wanted the whole movie to be that way. It's like yeah. when you see that, that to that to me points out the flaws of almost all the rest of the film, because here's this great moment that's emotional and you are getting caught up in it and you're, you're, you're really afraid of how the director is going to throw you into the arena. What are we going to see? What's going to happen next? And none of the rest of the movie has that impact. Even, even when you, you know, we all at this point, we know the horror of crucifixion. It's not even shown in this movie, even though the mm-hmm. main character dies being crucified, it's really kind of glossed over and just like, Oh yeah. And he was crucified. Yeah. Like, I mean, watching, I'm kind of like, I could die of crucifixion. That doesn't look too bad. I mean, yeah. honestly, it did not look, I mean, other than maybe uncomfortable on your arms or something, right. it really didn't look that bad. In kind the- of look, you kind of go, Oh, so it'd be starvation, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I would die of. That's not pleasant. Um, and so, it's not a movie I would necessarily really recommend. If you are going to watch it, I would really actually recommend watching it in chunks. I know, Lauren, you did. Uh, you watched like half of it and then watched the other half later. I sat through this whole thing in one go, and that's <laughs> kind of miserable. Because it isn't the most compelling of movies. It's interesting if you like... Again, I kind of said it in the last podcast. If you like the history of film, it's interesting to see. But it's there's well, really a lot of better options if you want this kind of movie. Yeah. It, Which kind of pains me to say because of how many great people are at work at this movie. It's just, it doesn't quite work anymore. Yeah. No, th- I mean, uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'd say. I mean, Laurence Olivier has plenty of other movies to watch mm-hmm. him in. You know, go check out his Hamlet or something. You know, yeah. nothing wrong with that. Um, there's some great, there's some, I'm not a huge fan of Kubrick, but there's a couple of his I really like. Mm-hmm. And I would say go watch those. You know, yeah. go, there's a lot of really great movies out there. You don't have to see this one necessarily. Yeah, um, you know. And that said, they uh, e- e- they even knew that it was a movie that you shouldn't watch all in one sitting. They put an intermission in the middle of it. Yes, and that was so. the most shocking thing to me last night. <laughs> I was like, I'm only at the halfway mark. Yeah. So, um, so some alternative movies, Scott. What have you got that you would suggest uh, for three, people to go three watch? Three things we've already discussed. The first one is Braveheart. It's in my top ten favorite films of all time. To me, it is... I mean, again, it's not historically accurate, really, in any way. No, other than it, William Wallace existed, and so did Scotland. <laughs> you know, it, he, it is Spartacus he, done right, though. It, it is Spartacus done right, you know, because here's a guy who doesn't want to fight, who wants to live his life, a free man, but the government is kind of keeping him down and treating him like 
a subhuman, you know, to the point of what sets him off is the government wants, you know, this Lord wants to sleep with his wife on his wedding night. And he goes, no, that's insane. And thus begins the, the fight for Scotland's freedom. And it's Mel Gibson, who I adore despite himself, you know, <laughs> and it's James Horner and his, my favorite movie soundtrack of all time. It's just like, there's so much in this. There's this insane Irishman in there. And there's, there's so much good things in this movie. You watch kilts, it, for instance, kilts are in kilts. this. Lots of kilts in this. Mooning people get mooned in this movie. <laughs> um, no, but and great actors that are in this. Like the whole cast is just like one person after another of just really phenomenal actors, including a kind of small part in this movie is um, Hamish's father is played by the guy who runs the Ninth Ward at, uh, in Game of Thrones. You know, it's like you just you continually recognize people in this movie, and it's it's kind of you know everybody in their A-game, and I adore Braveheart, and you should watch it. Um, Gladiator, another movie I already mentioned, is, to me, also, again, Spartacus done right. You don't have the big battle mm-hmm. of, you know, leading a slave revolt, but in his own way, he challenges the emperor and does kind of have his own small revolution. Um, and he is, you know, he's this general who is reduced to a slave, who's brought up to be a gladiator, who then fights in the arena. And the fight never leaves the arena, but it doesn't have to. And to me, that's almost what Spartacus should have been, is gladiator. And so maybe Ridley Scott learned the mistake of Spartacus and made gladiator, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the other, in the show, you mentioned Mad Men. What was fun for me to do watching this was think about the television show Rome, which was an HBO show. It only ran two seasons. Um, and it, the first season basically is like the year or so leading up to the Ides of March, where Julius Caesar is assassinated. And this movie takes place a couple of years before that. And so to, to think of it in that context was a lot mm-hmm. of fun because the television show Rome really explores and illustrates Roman society in a fascinating way. Uh, and again, it's, it's, a, it's a show that doesn't have people who are good by Christian uh, morals and respects or ways that we would really kind of um, approve of here in Western society but it it shows the culture in such a accurate way it feels that you realize that some of these people are good by Roman standards and that's fascinating because you end up rooting for certain characters who are who are actually good people they're just not good by my by standards our, yeah, by our current standards. <laughs> which is really really phenomenal and mm-hmm. it's two seasons the first season really is the best you could almost walk away from the whole show after the end of the first season um but the second season is really good too because you have julius caesar you have mark anthony you have cleopatra you have all these really interesting historical characters it just kind of has a frustrating beginning and ending one of the characters that yes. you grow to love in the first season kind of has a very dark turn in the beginning of season two and he, gets, he never quite recovers from he gets yeah he gets into a slightly a better place but it never quite happens until the final moments and then it's almost too late and this is the second season i felt like got a little confused but what's really interesting is that the second season kind of leads into christianity mm-hmm. but it doesn't quite happen it's like yeah you have couple, that was going to be the third season yeah and i would have loved to see that happen because you have a couple jewish characters that show up in rome and they're talking about things how things are changing down in jerusalem and the, the, the mood is changing and things are happening and you go oh, he's talking about what happens with jesus this is fascinating mm-hmm. and it doesn't happen but yeah. i would recommend those three if you're in the mood for roman society you know slave revolts or you know mm-hmm. yeah also to tie into that um, yeah uh ben-hur uh mm-hmm. we've we've mentioned that a couple of times but it's uh very different kind of epic movie mm-hmm. um but 
way better, I would say, than uh, than Spartacus is. Um, if if not just for the chariot race, but really the whole movie, I would say is better. Oh, it, it's a much better structured story. Mm-hmm. It, the whole thing is just it, it flows. It makes sense. Yeah. No. Exactly. Um, in that vein, in, in kind of like the big war epic kind of movie, um, I've mentioned El Cid. I've talked about it before on the podcast. Again, uh, I think it's a much better film in many respects than this is. It has its flaws as well, but I actually think that the battle sequences work better and the final payoff at the end is significantly better. Um, so, yeah, it, not without its flaws as well, but still, I like it better than Spartacus. Um and then uh, kind of keeping with that, uh, Lawrence of Arabia it came out just a couple of years after this, and we'll get to it here in the podcast eventually. Um, but my goodness, this movie, um, it has all of that character development and stuff, plus the big sweeping battles, and it keeps it all focused within a cohesive story. Um, so no spoiler as to how I feel about this one, but um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm recommending it as an alternative or, or something to go watch uh, instead of this because it's it's kind of fantastic. Um, and then the last thing is something kind of recent: um, the Hunger Games. It it has a lot of this same kind of concepts of rebellion and mm-hmm. and uh, gladiatorial spirit, and mm-hmm. um, it's it's basically an allegory for Rome. So, um, you know, it very much fits in with a lot of the themes that are touched on in this movie or some of these other movies that we've recommended. And uh, in its own weird post-apocalyptic sort of way, (laughs) it fits right in, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, that's... um, that's kind of our take on this and some other movies to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, we hope you have enjoyed the episode. Um, if you have anything you want to say, let us know. Uh, we've got our Twitter account at Movies You Should. Um, you can talk to us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Movies You Should. Um, there's always our website, moviesyoushouldlove.com. We have lots of conversations and things there with our people in the comments. Tell us how wrong we are about Spartacus. Any yep. of the Spartacuses. Any of the Spartacuses. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're listening on iTunes, again, be sure to go rate us in the iTunes store, because that helps us. Yeah. It helps keep us encouraged to make more of these. Mm-hmm. It helps uh, you somehow, too. So we'll go with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, after all of that, come back next week where we discuss number 80 on AFI's Top 100, uh, The Apartment. Indeed. So, um, I don't think I've seen this one yet. I have not, but it came in the mail today. So we're very excited to get to another new to us film. So um, until then, we'll see you next time. See you then. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 